I'm John. I'm Paul. I'm George. And I play the drums. From Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrent and Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Gowan. Ah, uh, yes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Get Back to the Beatles. My name is Chachi Lopret, as the announcer said, and we're here for another edition of our long-running podcast. And joining me, as the gentleman said, Beatles professor at Suffolk University, Mr. David Gallant, teaching Beatles classes to the freshmen for almost 20 years. David Yaz, the proprietor, the entrepreneur, the visionary of the Boston Podcast Network, our producer and spiritual advisor is joining us as well. And guys, first, I will say that we are on the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com. And uh, we are brought to you by Subaru of New England and uh, Professor Gallant and David Yaz. On our program, we celebrate the power of a song. And of course, the Beatles have many. And and there are songs from my childhood and yours, I'm sure, that we love. All these years later, they never lose their charm or their magic and appeal to our senses. And such a special song would still get played on the radio today. And today, for me, our guests on our podcast fit the bill with what I just said there. And uh, you know what, guys? For all the interviews we've done on our podcast, Yaz and Gallant, when we have scheduled guests, it's typical, it's fun. But sometimes we get a guest that really hits our heart and soul, and we get excited about it, and it's kind of magical. And I don't know how you are. It is for you two, Yaz and Mr. Gallant. But for me, I'm so excited about our guest today. I mean, it just hits home from years ago. Gallant and Mr. Yaz, agree? Com- completely. Absolutely agree. And for some reason, when you say it hits home, our guest today and well, the rest of their family crew provided such a soundtrack to my to my youth as Joe Pesci would say, and my cousin Vinny, very much so. And, and because of also where I grew up and, and, and from whence they came as well, I'll get into a little bit more of them later, but this is, this is really, really special. I, I kind of wish that my siblings, called the, the two that are still with us, my siblings were here to meet these folks and talk to them because when you're the youngest in any family and the music is filtering down to you and everybody else is listening to it, the 45s that they have in the 45 carrier and are playing in the living room and what we were listening to on the radio in the summertime and elsewhere, I wish they were here too because, and I, I say this in, in, in all sincerity, for that time in my life later, this, these are legends, really. So I'll explain why, but yeah, this is, this is really cool. And Maybe they'll feel chachi in terms of interviews. This is up there for me so far. We haven't even said anything. Yeah. <laughs> you and I got to talk to Pete Best, the original beat drummer, uh, Beatles drummer in the summertime. This is up there. with That's a good one. This yeah. is Mr. Yes. This, go ahead. Yeah, no, this is exciting. This, I mean, this, uh, this morning already, Chachi, I've already talked to half a dozen people who have appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. Haven't you? I mean, it just happens all the time. <laughs> but exactly. you know what? This will do. This will do. It, it's a piece of rock history, and um, it is a thrill. It's a thrill for me as well. Well, listen, after this long-winded winded introduction, <laughs> we are very happy to welcome, to get back to the Beatles, Bob and Paul Cowsill. We're so excited. Gentlemen, thank you for coming on our program. Get our back pleasure. to where you once belong. Listen, you have get a group. Yeah, you, have, you have a group with you right now that are sitting here with you. And we can honestly say this. I know you. I know you've heard this from all of us when we were teenagers with rock bands back then. We're here because of the Beatles. In terms of the direction we ended up taking, they were in our timeline of where we were going to end up. The Beatles, their section of it is is so critical and so important to our development that it's it's you can never understate it. You can't overstate it. It's unbelievable. But but what what's kind of special is for me, and I'm a first generation Beatles fan, and it all started when I saw the Beatles, but you guys, it seems to me that you guys were nat- natural musicians. You started playing before the Beatles. Oh, yeah. Were on the Ed Sullivan show, but then you saw the Beatles on the Ed, Ch- Ed Sullivan show, and then that propelled you even further, correct? Yeah, I would say I would say so. Before that, we were all wearing pinstripes and Searship Sucker and uh, doing folk music, <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. before we the did. Beatles. We, we had Elvis. We had we had Perry Como, but you know the Beatles they set a new kind of precedent. 
Yeah, when when they popped in, we had our brothers. We're we're building from within with this family because we're in Newport, Rhode Island. This island is not crawling with musicians in the mid-60s, believe me. Uh, So we're pulling from within. And like Paul said, we're we are totally into folk music, though. We we embrace this, the Hoot Nannies and the Kingston Trio, Peter Paul and Mary. I mean, we're doing their songs on Big Barbara McNair's TV show. We love them so much. But when the Beatles showed up, yeah, this was like, oh, oh, this is what the, here's some songs you learn. Here's what you look like. Here's the gear you buy. Here's where your sound, this is where you want to take your sound in the direction you're ready to go. And at 14 and 15 and 10 year olds and 12 year olds, we're sponges for that. And we embraced it totally and give kudos to our dad and our mom. They got us the gear and we learned the songs and we were very good at being the Beatles and performing Beatles songs at a young age. And it got us work. And you were self-taught guitar players, right? Well, yeah, there's nothing. There's no, we're self-taught as seven young, young people. We're self-taught. We sing naturally, but we're teaching ourselves around that. And like Paul said, we go from Perry Como to the Lennon sisters to the Beatles. We're all over the map in terms of television, because that's your resource. Mm -hmm. The Beatles, you're not going to see the Beatles till Ed Sullivan. You're going to hear them. All right, you're a working band. You got records. You buy the records. You go, how are they doing this? Well, let's listen real close. This is all you got. Yeah, yeah. Now, when they did three nights on Ed Sullivan, you get 12 songs. That's called School is In. You get one pass. You're not taping it for Monday morning, and you better pay attention, and you better be there on time. So eight o'clock Sunday night, three Sundays in a row, we learned all we needed to do. To Okay, we got it. Here's how they did it. Look, there they are doing it. Okay, we got it. And we ran with that. So they cleared the path for you. But let, let, before we yeah. get into the questions, you are coming to the New England area, the fantastic Regent Theater, about a 107-year-old theater led by our friend Leland Stein. And you'll be performing at the Regent Theater in Arlington on October 6th. And we're very excited about that. Get your tickets at regiontheater.com. And that's the reason why you're joining us, as well as the fact that we just love you guys and we love the cow sills. And we're going to touch on some things as we go. But the song that blew my mind as a kid, and when you look back, you think, well, it came out, what, in 66, 67, 68. And maybe if your mom and your sister weren't in the band, they people might have said, this is an LSD-based song. So... Let's hear a little bit of The Rain, The Park, and Other Things. I saw her sitting in the rain Raindrops falling on her She didn't seem to care She sat there and smiled at me Then I did What a song, I tell you. And the female voices in there really do elevate it. And the moment I heard that song to this day, how many years later, I've been singing it for days since I we had heard that you guys were coming on our program. So what a fantastic record. Mr. Gallant, talk about that song before we let Bob and Paul do that. Okay, now, a couple of great things uh, about this song. You've got this Shimmering family pop, right? Chachi, you talk about acid, right? The Von Traps take acid. We can get the cow soap, right? <laughs> However, we're talking <laughs> pre Jackson. In terms of family voices together, family voices together, we are talking pre Jackson 5, pre Osmond. And the beginning with the sound effects, this is well before Riders on the Storm from the doors. So, I mean, we're getting that great 60s sound, the shimmering pop with the sound effects. And it's just, it's, it's fantastic. Now, these are, these is a family that they're growing up in the shadow of one of the main places where folk music was taking off, the Newport Folk Festival, and realizing how that then, when the Beatles come along, it transforms the whole scene well before Dylan plugs in and gets everybody pissed off. So. They're right there at that at that starting point. And it's this is just one of of I could go on, but and I will with some of the other songs, but that's how I put it in that in that context. When I don't think enough is paid attention to how innovative it was for its time and people seeing what comes after it and not going back to, hey, this is a council moment before. They had this before you guys. So that's how I put it into it. It's it, that's why I love it. it Gentlemen. It, it, it's very cool because you mentioned Second Beach. The folk, Newport Folk Festival. Of course, this 
this ran our summers as kids. We were down at Second Beach with our guitars, and you get the thing going around the blank, and everyone's singing. And, and this is this is. Oh, that was you guys. I saw that. Was you guys. <laughs> Along with ten thousand others. Yeah, we were the one closest to the to the snack shack. Uh, but anyway, but yeah, that ruled our. That we're, we were. Don't look in the dunes. Don't look in the dunes. The people are doing stuff in the dunes. Don't look there. Yeah, yeah. We, we lived this transition. You're, you're, you're signaling. We were in the audience when Dylan went electric and got booed. We didn't know what they were booing. We're just kids. Like, what's going on? This is a great song, like a Rolling Stone. And so, yeah, Judas. The rain, the Judas. Park, this was a time when when Brian Wilson's in the studio with "Wouldn't It Be Nice," and we're we're using studio musicians. We didn't know. We're kids. We're just. We walk into the studio. There's the harp and the strings and the horns and. Jimmy Wisner and the track, he counts it off and boom, there's the rain, the park and other things. Now we're standing there going, look, we got to perform this live. We didn't spend our life on the road working our sound up. We, we made up our sound in the studio. We've always done it that way. Um, we didn't go in knowing it. So it was a real interesting time and we got swept up in it. And that was a big hit with us. And you could say, well, that's when they put your mom in the group and that's why you had a hit. And we could say, well, that's true. We were on two labels and got dropped from two labels. And we could say that made us different. We all wanted to be the Beatles. Okay. They put your mother in your group. We're not it. We're nothing. We're, no, we're a whole different thing now. Quickly. All of a sudden, we're different. We sound different. The, the band's different. The, the vocal stack's young. You say the girl voices. That's true. Mom's in there. But Barry and John are, the girl, are mostly the girl voices because they're like eight and ten or whatever. So the stack is wide. And and knowing that, and like Paul referenced the TV shows, the Lennon sisters, Perry Como, Tennessee Ernie Ford, sing along with Mitch, the Osmonds on the Andy Williams acapella singing. This is all stuff we're watching on TV because that's all we had. And and so we get this vocal stack naturally for ourselves. And man, yeah, to this day, we go to town on it, use it as instruments and love it. Use the vocals where you might use strings or horns. We did that a lot. Paul. And, and also, you've got to give kudos to Artie Kornfeld and Steve Zuboff, okay? Because they had had I'm a Pied Piper. So they were in the, the heat of the, the action. And, and with that success with the Piper song, they became instant A&R guys. That's how it was back in the day. And, and Artie came through and him being just a tad older than everybody, not much older, but just that little difference. They were able to uh, kind of capture the time better than we would have been able to being little kids and just like walking around singing Beatles songs. I mean, that's what we did really was yeah. just tromps through our yards and we got to school and we'd all get in single files and be singing Beatles songs. I mean, what generation does that? So Artie and Steve, they came with a big hit. They came with a big hit. And I think they knew it better than any of us knew it at the time. And, and it was a huge hit. And I'll tell you, that's what the one thing you guys did that millions of other kids didn't do. When I saw the Beatles, I immediately wanted to be a drummer, still have a drum kit, dreamed of being in a band. Millions of kids. You guys did it. You were in class, taken out of what? Spanish class to oh, go yeah. to New York. You guys actually fulfilled the dream of millions of kids back then. We were very fortunate. Our dad hit the streets. Yeah. You had to hit the streets. Look, today, the, uh, the, the, you're, you have to do your own music, get it online, make sure your presence is there, make sure you can be found and listened to and seen. Okay, back then, our dad's on the streets in New York looking for a record company who's going to do all of that for you because that's how it was run back then. And there's, it's the top 100, guys. It's the top 10. There's not a lot of room. You got to fight. And so you give the Beatles number one. So we know the fights for number two because we all act of the Beatles. I right, forget them. They're, they're number one. Now everyone can fight. Okay. And everyone held their own and we held our own. And it was really a, a, an amazing time. And okay. You brought up your dad. Let's talk about your dad. Military guy in and out of town, six months at a time. Yes. With the salute. Hey, Newport what, Naval. Yeah. And what, what made, how did he have an entertainment background? Did he just go into it blind? Well, what what gave him the 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 thought that he could manage a band? I would say immediately, Tony Sark <laughs> let him think that he could make that happen, <laughs> and, and, no. and he did. It did. <laughs> but Bob, go ahead. Yeah, the, well, the band. Look, we yes, we're kids. We're kids. 
But we started this as seven and eight-year-olds. By the time where the Beatles arrived, and I'm like 64, I'm 63, I'm 13, 12, 13, 14. Bill's a little older, Paul's just under. So we're ripe, right, as soon as they arrive. But what the parents are hearing in the house, it's just like, we're good. And, and I'm just saying that as an adult. As kids, we were unbelievably talented. We got work with an eight-year-old drummer, our brother John, a 10-year-old bass player. We're in a club at Dorian's playing four hours a night on the weekend because the Beatles came forth with enough songs to learn to get us all work. I mean, we're not going to do that with folk music. So the the band, and so in the house, we're rehearsing. Well, dads, they're, they're not idiots. We are very good. And so dad saw that. He's ready to get out of the Navy. He's got a my way or the highway attitude that you really did need back then to because you're going to go through a lot of rejection, a lot of like naysayers. You're going to go through all that. And he was very good at going through it all and not listening to it and getting us right to the top. Now, he didn't change at the top. You have to. He didn't. And it's going to all come crashing down. But we're talking about the rise. And he it was unbelievable. And in three years of seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan, we were on it. So And Ed signed a 10-show deal with us. 10 shows. It's in the a million dollars. I saw the telegram. We all saw it. It's historical now, but we're only doing two because dad gets in a fight with Bob Precht, who's Ed Sullivan's son-in-law, who's producing the show. You can't be doing that. And Ed took eight shows away. So we got great stories like that. It's nutty. And that's why you see the councils with Artie Cornfield. Well, now bring the part. Well, then what happened? Oh, we can fly. Bill and Bob did that. Oh, West Farrell comes in with Indian Lake. Oh, oh, that, well, that didn't work. That's a good hit. But now we need hair. It was a nutty rise and like this with dad. Paul, you want to add anything to that, Paul? Yeah. Yes, it was a nutty rise. I mean, <laughs> it, look at we were a bunch of kids just out there and and not thinking the way dad was thinking at at the time. Just and he had big dreams, I guess. In his head, he saw something that was good on him for seeing it, I guess. But Paul, your dad screws up a 10-show deal with Ed Sullivan. Doesn't your mom take him in the back and say, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, Get out of here. We later. need a legitimate manager that's, sure, you got us there, yeah. but let us stay yeah. there. Where was your mom in all this? She was, well, I mean, over the years, we've just kind of gone to the point that she was just the eighth child in the family. We had one leader, and then the rest of us, including our mom, were just following the leader. <laughs> and he was the boss. It was a yes, sir, no, sir situation here. <laughs> okay, Professor Gallant, go ahead. Well, what I also think is is amazing, and, and this comes from having read a bit about the story of your lives in the band and having, and having seen the uh, fantastic documentary and fantastic on so many levels and very truthful, is also your all sense of survival will and thriving in music. At the same time. And when you mentioned Paul, you mentioned it when your dad's name was mentioned, you say Cuddy Sark. And that's also kind of a, it's an image for me of the sixties because my mom and dad always had a bottle in the cabinet for when press came <laughs> up and stuff and they might imbibe, but had such an iconic label and everything. I suppose your mom must have had a version of that as well, right? In terms oh, of, yeah. I am, I am making accommodations in my life for this whole enterprise. I got to try to come through it whole on the other side, too. Oh, yeah. Totally with mom. Mom didn't want anything to do with this band in terms of being in it or performing on stage. I mean, just because this wasn't her. She wasn't born with it, but she did it. And kudos to her because it did differentiate us. And the business of this and the career, it's okay because where we were trusted luckily to this day even, but where we were trusted was in the studio. No one gave us any trouble. In fact, our dad got banned from the studio for misbehaving one time by the by Artie. And so in the studio, they trusted us. We knew what we were doing. And that's why on stage and in the studio, this is where life blossomed for us. It really was and, and, and still does. But back then, it was the place to be and the thing to be doing, especially in the studio. Was that a safe haven? Was that a sanctuary for you all? Yeah, we ran the yeah, show. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yep. Yep. David, actually, our our happy places were on stage in the studio doing the music, being together as siblings. But yeah, mom was in there, but she was almost 
like a, another sibling. Yeah, she, yeah. she took direction just like we did. Yeah. She was almost saying yes, sir, and no, sir, to him. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Actually, they, yeah. Just, they just aced my quiz. You may recall we, we, we communicated several days ago, and you were wondering about certain questions and approaches. We had all seen the documentary, and I said, well, I think I want to ask them where they found their most joy in their happy place. And Paul just aced the quiz. So there is. <laughs> but you see, we weren't questioned in the studio or, or in the show or any of the musical stuff. No one around us knew anything about that. And they relied on us even. And that's where our power was. Now, we're not living this way. I'm not thinking this way as an 18-year-old. But I'm, I know that's what it was, that we were relying on in the studio. And we always could come through there, even if it wasn't 10 with a bullet. We're always at it. And that was great knowing that, that eventually we had to go back in the studio, go on the road and get on stage. And this was our life. It was a great life. We loved it. Chachi, I have one question. And maybe if, if you have it on your next list there for, if we're hanging some of our discussion around the songs, I do have, if you want to talk a little bit about Indian Lake, because when you are talking about the career sort of going like this, again, gentlemen, where I grew up, southeastern Mass, near Rhode Island, my family grew up in, in Bristol. We'd go to Newport every weekend. My dad was on the water. It was like summertime, PROFM, Salty Brine, yeah. the station that reaches the beaches, turn so you won't burn. Your Listen songs to this were, guy. <laughs> your songs were not like this. They were all like this. There was nothing. Where I grew up, it was not the up and down. It was all up. And I think you guys know that in terms of that fan base. But Indian Lake, there had been comments before, oh, this song is kind of being shoved down our throats and things like that. But as far as I was concerned, I, that is huge for me. My sister, my, one of my older sisters in her dance school in Attleboro, Massachusetts, she did an award-winning baton routine to Indian Lake. But I don't know whether, Chachi, whether you want Mr. Yaz to cue and then. Yeah, I, let's. I would love to hear them talk about Indian Lake. Yeah, let, let's hear a little bit of the song that Bill said, I refuse to sing. Uh, he hated the song. And again, there's your dad. And, and now you, know, you brought up Brian Wilson earlier. I want you I want you to compare your dad with Brian's dad. You hear so many stories about the Brian Wilson's father. But Mr. Yaz, let's hear a little bit of Indian Lake. You take a Indian Lake. Mr. My sister were here. I don't think she would just break down and cry, full out her baton and start doing the routine. <laughs> so, Paul, Bob, please uh, elaborate for us. Right. You first, Paul? Oh, you can go first on this one. <laughs> well, look, Indian Lake, historically a great 1968 summertime hit. No denying it. But it, before that, when you hear that, all right, we need a hit, okay? MGM's freaking out. And, and, Bill, and we just had We Can Fly. It went to 14 or 17, whatever it went to. It wasn't number one. You'd come out of the gate. To them, we were coming out of the gate with a number one, even though it wasn't true, MGM. So West Barrel, somehow, we're not in the business world. We're kids, okay? This track arrives. This song arrives. We don't like it. We, we we came off We Can Fly. We Can Fly, we work with three arrangers in New York City, Charlie Colello and Artie Shrek and Herb Bernstein. And we're, we're like evolving. And like, whoa, this is amazing. This is great. Indian Lake was a setback for us personally. But look, remember, we're kids, all right? <laughs> we're just kids. So the, the grownups know that this is a hit waiting to happen. And they're going to make sure that we do it. And we do, of course. And then we arrange, we arrange it. They did the track. The track came. That was their... Wes and his boys, he had his musicians that he used and the track arrived and we did the vocal arrangement. And it's a great summer hit, no doubt about it. It's not going to work out with Wes because when Wes arrives, just as an old description of, of back then, and remember, we're just teenagers. So this is our impression is he's, he's New York in a suit with cologne and jewelry. And like, who is, he's not going to throw as a football. Who's Wes Farrell? 
but we love the guy because he's so talented and he's a good producer and poor baby's going to come. You don't even know that one. We love poor baby. It was a, should have been a monster hit. And that was through West, but Indian Lake, we hit the road that summer for the tour and we have a hit. Shit, I mean, who isn't going to love a summer tour with a summer hit? And we had it in 68 and, and lived it. And it was as meaningful now as, as it was to you, David, it really, was. it really today is despite the history and, there's a piece of fluff. It, it, it's a piece of fluff, but I got to tell you something. Even right now, I kind of, it, I just thought of this and I was thinking, yeah, that's probably right. But look at it, at the time, nobody could have done Indian Lake but us because the Moody Blues aren't going to do Indian Lake. And it was just a perfect song for a bunch of kids to go around. What did we do? As little kids, we played Cowboys and Indians. I mean, that was at Christmas. What did you get? You either got a bow and arrow. Or you got a holster, a fan or 50. And, and that's kind of the way our lives were. So Indian Lake to us was just like a hoot of a song. And, and it's kind of funny because it's, it's lasted this long. I don't know if you guys know this, but we were banned from a casino this summer because of Indian Lake and, and the war hoops in it. And, and these, the people around us, the old people around us saying, Hey, you got to get that on the show. You can't do this. You can't do that. Thought that we put the war hoops in. In real time today, they didn't even know that they were on the record. And we're telling these people, guys, you say do the record. This is the record. It's a big hit for us. So, so in we, this we, type of life, yeah, go, Bob. We even have to apologize. Apologize. Okay, we apologize for something Susan did when she was seven. <laughs> it was a crazy world. But Indian Lake, yeah, it's historically been a kind of an adventure and a fun song. Uh, Freddie Weller put it out in 72, had a hit record in the country market with Indian Lake. It yep. became a, if you Google other people who sang Indian Lake, you'll be shocked at some of the people who did it. I think Loretta Lynn might have done it. Anyway. It really, uh, it, but uh, sure, what so, yes. so I was going to say, yeah. it reminds me, if not in, in actual musicality, but in tone and feel to the Osmonds down by the Lazy River. Absolutely. And you think just... And I listen to both songs unapologetically. It's it's a pure piece of joy, but so I love it. But I'll just I'll pop in one question here, Chacha. That's okay. And I don't know if you get this question a lot, but what is your favorite Cowsill song? I don't know who who has the answer on the tip of their tongue first, but Bob, you want well, to go? I I I, the, I don't know the the most fun song in my opinion was either Indian Lake or or Hair. I mean, hair was just a hoot and, and to be having been a part of that old people like we are now. I mean, that just stands out in my head. What a trip that song was. What a trip that song took us on. And the whole rest of the world was tripping with hair. So for us to get that song off of that album, because you had easy to be hard by Chuck Negron, the, the three dog night. You had Oliver coming out with the, his morning song and, and the fifth dimension of cars, holy geez. And so mm -hmm. here we all were doing these songs off of that album or out of that play unbeknownst to each other. And we were touring with Chuck Negron and we kept saying, dude, so did you realize we were all doing this? And he went, I didn't realize anything. We were just doing the song. So it's funny how it became uh, so important though. It was an important song because in 64, 65, that's the basis of my arguments with my father. Cut your hair. Huh. Yeah. So oh, exactly. Oh. Why doesn't my mother love me? Because yeah. of my long hair? Yeah. <laughs> we we actually we actually did have our dad walk by us when we were younger, turning into Beatle fans, and looked down at us and said, What's with the hair? We heard that sentence from him. My heart goes with the rain in the park and other things because when I hear it, it I, I get sentimental. My my brain goes with hair because I, you don't remember doing stuff as a kid. But when I hear hair, I go, how did we arrange that that way? I don't remember doing it, but we did it, obviously, in two days. But you blow through a recording like that. You don't remember the detail of it. And some of it you do, but you go, God, we really did a good job of that. But you don't remember doing it. That's a funny yeah, feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the song holds up today. The Rain in the Park, the other yeah, thing holds they up. Do. They do. I mean, you, you, put, you hear it on satellite radio. You hear it on radio stations. And you guys with hair, that was really, you guys were getting to the edge. The video was awesome. The vocals yeah, were awesome. Yeah. Just like it was your, your grittiest song, I think. And I, and we, it, we were, we were fortunate to, uh, 
our our hits and our songs along our path are all different from each other. So we were fortunate to not settle into a formula or you can tell actually you could accuse us of a, a search in public like who are you guys oh now you're indian lake now you're air what are you gonna do next now we like that that's pretty cool chachi i want to just uh, comment on again from my vantage point being five six seven years old where i grew up the power of the households two, two examples one related to what we're just talking about we had a, an uncle my uncle Talk about typical Southeastern Mass Rhode Island. My uncle Nunzio, and he would get a lot of records from my older siblings. So we always had the latest Beatles. And he was also big in, in giving us records for the latest Broadway shows, the original cast soundtrack albums, Jesus Christ Superstar, Hair, mm. Your Good Man Charlie Brown, all stuff from that era. Do Your Own Thing was the song, right? Or even Anthony Newley, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, all that stuff, right? Yeah. But and Bob and Paul mentioned the other groups who covered songs from that album, right? But as far as I knew, listen to the whole album. And some of it, I'm a little kid. Wait a minute, there's bad language. What are they talking about? Sex and everything, right? But their, their, their cover of Hair, for me, was part of that album, the original cast album. As far as I was concerned, all the other songs are from the original cast. But Hair, it was the council, right? That's and that's funny. how we kind of dominated the whole sense of, you heard the fifth dimension and and it was a three dog night whatever but theirs was that theme song right that main song the other power of the council when i was a kid everybody was like talk about conspiracy theories everybody had a theory oh well indian lake is really that lake over there in, in exeter rhode island indian lake is really that lake over there now you don't have to settle that debate we've heard it's maybe based on some other lake in maybe upstate new york or something mm -hmm. but that didn't matter when you were a kid it was like oh no indian lake is the one we go to over here yeah wherever i don't know if you guys heard anything like that yes over. i'll tell you we we were yep. part of that group okay we were part of being like you yeah it it was this indian lake it was that indian lake we toured that summer there were indian lakes everywhere and every one of them look we're just punk guys just teenagers yeah it was your lake yeah and then we get a free boat and a, a, what it was nutty it was a fun summer well that's the great thing about it right everybody in their mind and their heart has their own indian lake yeah. so that yeah that's that's i mean david even 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 today even today when we do that song and we have our meet and greet after our shows People always come up and they go, hey, so Indian Lake, and we always laugh at the table because the three of us know, oh, this guy wants to think it's his Indian Lake. <laughs> we were in Pennsylvania. We were playing Sellersville one night and we had a meet and greet and the guy came in and he goes, hey, Indian Lake's about our Indian Lake right here. And I'm going, well, I think it was northern upper state New York. And he goes, no, no, it's even on Quaker Town Ridge. This guy's telling me from Pennsylvania, and I'm going, oh, well, then it must be yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I love and it. People, people want, to, want it to be their lake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, it, it's a great thing about the song that the song made the people feel that it was their lake. I love that. It fit all the Indian lakes. Right, that's right. the beauty of it. People yeah. like to take ownership and say, "Hey, that's us." Right. You know, no so problem. I think that's it's it's so a there fantastic. was a documentary. There was a documentary done, and and Wavy Gravy. Okay, he's the guy that would go around with the dead and feed the people and, and take care of the people. The Woodstock, and, yeah, yeah, the Woodstock guy. And so he he's starting his documentary, his own documentary, and he's driving in, in town, and Indian Lake is on his radio. This is his favorite song. Wavy Grady loves Indian Lake. If we'd have known as kids how many heavy people like Brian Wilson loved Indian yeah. Lake, which cooled Bill's jets right down. Well, if Brian <laughs> loves it, I guess I better love it. So Indian Lake is a funny thing because a lot of real heavy musicians love that silly ditty kind of thing. So Indian well, Lake was a different... So it's okay with Wavy Gravy. It's all right with Wavy Gravy, right? Well, maybe. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know that they would do it, but maybe Ben and Jerry needs to market an Indian Lake flavor. Ice cream. But, but did Indian Lake give your dad an I told you so to Bill? I mean, no, no, no. Here's the I told you so. We we were so wanted something else. OK. And and now I'm 18. Bill's 19. And we're, we're feeling our oats. Maybe. I don't know. But we call up MGM. We wrote a song better than Indian Lake. And we need to come over right away and sing it for him. And I know they said, councils want to come over. Okay, let them come over. I know they had to take that meeting. 
So we were walking down 7th Avenue with guitars on our backs, going to this meeting. And, and and we play him this song, A Good Day, it's called. Oh, it's a good day, guaranteed to move you. And the guy, is, I forgot his name, I think it was Herb. He reaches back, he says, boys, that's not a hit. <laughs> like, okay. And he goes, this is a hit. And he reaches back and he puts the the turntable thing on the acetate he's got behind me. And it's the beginning of Indian Lake. And it says, this is your next release. And And we said, okay. And we walked home and gave up on that <laughs> but, but and it was a big there's a big hit and then it's not like you're still a teenager so you're not going to go like oh what do we know if they were right you just go oh wow it's a big hit what did we know and we were as surprised as anybody not as surprised as hair because we thought the long intro of hair was going to kill it on the radio but but we were definitely surprised about indian lake that people embraced that it was wonderful well, good for you. And you guys toured everywhere. You did so many things, fairs, this and that. Was there gifts from your dad, a little bit of extravagance here and there to celebrate your success? Because I seem to recall that the money kind of just wasn't around, right? Where's my trust fund? What me, trust fund? Have I been asked that? Were, what, were yeah, and that's the thing. You've been talking about this for, what, 60 years, right? And yeah. that, that's so one of the things we that I that the professor and I toiled over. It's like, well, what are we asking that they haven't been asked before? They've been talking about this for so long. And it looks like you came to terms with a lot of things. It's you Gifts from very- our dad. Gifts from our dad. A work ethic. Okay. I got that from my dad. Dad always had three jobs. Always made sure his family was in a home and cared for him, taken care of. So we, we got those kinds of things from him. And, and also a lot of things of, about what not to do in life we got from dad. How not to handle something, maybe. And, and learn it the hard way, but you'll learn it, right? And so he, he was that way more than... Did you go through phases in your life where you had such a dislike? Why would he do this? I mean, has your opinion changed <laughs> in various ways over the years? Now, I, I was mean, you've been, of the through, guy, been through hell. I was afraid of the guy my whole life. And that's just the way it was. So I steered clear of him as best I could. And I got good grades that that helped me steer clear of him. It did so good. I can do that. Yeah, You did what you did. To either take them on, which a lot of us did, and we have three brothers who are gone who did that, and they, and not because of that, but I did, it didn't help, let me tell you. So we all did it the way we did it. Paul did it his way, I did it mine, Sue hers, John his. No, but you and, guys, and when, I'm just. When, when you get, oh, sorry, yes. So I'll, I'll just quickly say, because it's, it, maybe it fits in nicely here. I don't know about Dave, David Chachi. I'm just struck by how almost matter of fact you talk about your dad, um, I mean, Chachi said maybe you've come to grips with it by now, but I just, I'm struck by how it's, it's like you have this musical optimism that that carried you through. I hope I'm not overstating it, but most people wouldn't even be able to bring up the person's name given what you've been through, but, but you see the positive in, in all that. So I hope, I hope that's a, a, a fair compliment to you, but go ahead, Paul. Well, Jazz, right along what you're saying there is, look at when, when it gets down to it, I, I believe uh, that we kids, we were our family. The We kind of just went inside the family and got inside each other as far as as siblings. We were having the time of our life. Indian Lake might have bugged us for three minutes, okay? But then now we're on to speedboats up in Missouri. I mean, so being the kids we were, it was really kind of easy. Look, at dad was a big presence, don't get me wrong, but it was real easy to just block him out a, a lot of the time as we were going on and having our fun, and, and he wasn't wrecking our fun. It was just not going to happen, and although we were scared to death of him and, and, and all of that that goes with that, again, we had this on the road, we had the music, we had our band, and, and, and at one point, yeah. we, felt, we felt the power that we had in the fact that we can just go, hey, we quit. And then that would make everything go crazy. <laughs> so we knew what power we had, but we were still just kids and having fun with what we were doing. I don't know. It's it's weird. We didn't get all hung up on dad. I mean, he got all hung up on us, but we didn't get all hung up on him. We just had to avoid him, like Bob said, try to, I was a middle child. So it was easy for me to swoop and move and groove and felt bad for the older guys and the younger guys because they were the focus groups. And I just kind of smoothed through. So yeah, David. <laughs> I 
I wasn't, well, I, I probably would have brought it up maybe either way or not if, if, if Susan was, was, was here with us, but she's my hero for kicking his ass when she needed to. Oh, um, she's our hero. Yeah, she's and our hero. So, and, and the, and I don't want, I don't want to try to ship to the light too quickly, but at some point, Chachi, we do have to address the 500 pound partridge in the room. <laughs> and, 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 and because, you know, that what happened, we all saw this, right? This was also an inspirational moment. I'm sure you went to the movie theater. I don't know whether it was the Jane Pickens or somewhere else to see a hard day's night at some point, right? Oh, the strand, they yeah. Were, they weren't actors and were in a film. So why the hell not you guys <laughs> being in the, the, that television series? So who, who cared if you were actors or not, right? And if mom didn't want to do it, then you could have been there with Shirley Jones, right? So, oh, I don't know if there's any other immediate reflections on that the the whole uh, uh, partridge phenomenon. The the biggest thing was that it was never ever going to be our mom. It was Shirley Jones. This was her vehicle, and they were going to put us with Shirley and call it Shirley Jones and the Cowsells or something. It was not going to be the Partridge Family kind of thing. So so as soon as my dad and we were all sitting with him there at Screen Gems realized that mom was not going to be in this, then that was a wrap. We were not going to be doing this TV show. And dad said, get some actors, enjoy. He didn't even get any money for it. He didn't sell the the life rights. He didn't know any business thing like that. So it just went on and on. But without the Partridge family, I dare say that we might not be remembered as well as we are now. Because when the Partridge family was in its heyday, Bob, myself, we were all raising kids. We were doing all this stuff. We were taking a breath from what we had just experienced. And the whole time, the Partridge family are there. And every interview said, hey, wow, this is all about the Cowsills, right? And so that kept us in the limelight, so to speak. But damn it, fellas, one one smart licensing deal, two pennies from every lunchbox going to you. And more than than all the royalties from the Ring of Park and other things combined, right? Yes, back back now. That kind of thinking is how we thought as younger men, Paul and I, that kind of thing. And then you get older and then you go, wow, that was really an honor to have that TV show. And what they did for us, as Paul says, as our star was fading. Now look what's going on. Now we talk about them and their star is faded. And and it's come full circle with the Partridge family. This is a very unique relationship. But remember, when they came out, we had hair out when they visited us with this idea. We're number one in the country. So as teenage guys with cars and a life in L.A., uh, and we know we we think we're going to make hit records the rest of our life because that's our age, but we're not. But hair is going to be our last, but we don't know that yet. So we don't want to do a TV show five days a week and work that hard. <laughs> we want to go back on tour <laughs> or back in the studio. It's like, what? A what? We were almost relieved though they don't want mom oh, this is gonna work out great. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Without complaining. But it's funny, there aren't not many artists or there's not many people that can say I mean, and the Beatles, they did have Hard Days Night and they had all these, but they never had like somebody do a TV show about them. <laughs> and and here we are, just out in the middle of the universe, all of a sudden we get this TV show that lands and look at you guys. I mean Bob is 74, I'm 71. And to to this day, people are just astonished with the Partridge family story. And you guys didn't do it. Wow. What's that about? It's huge. Wow. <laughs> you know, all this. And, and, and we even use it as a reminder, like say, hey, remember the castles? No. Remember, I love the plot. No. Or you remember, give me a head with hair. No. Well, you remember the Partridge family? Oh, yes, yeah. Sir. That's about them. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know the castles. Yeah. Well, it's great so that way. So far, you haven't had to get into a boxing ring like Danny Bonaducci, so you're doing okay. <laughs> I was ready to do it with him. I would have done it. <laughs> oh, look at it would have been good. It would have been good. Yeah, it would have been good. Well, you guys had a bunch of different record deals, and there's one particular record deal that I just want to touch on briefly because the man who ran that label, I was such a huge fan of, and Mr. Yes, just play a little bit of the song, and then they'll know who I'm talking about. Yanni, baby. I don't want to 
Hold me tight, right? Hold me tight. Yeah, when I heard that song as a kid, it's like, oh my God. I think that was my first experience with reggae. Wow. And well, that and the Israelites, the Desmond Decker. But Johnny Nash signed you guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Johnny Nash. Johnny Nash and Danny Sims had a record label, Joda. It was going to be our first label. And they, we got on the Today Show back in Q-Downs of Barbara Walters Day because they saw us at the club in Newport and brought us on the Today Show because we were talented brothers. And they saw us. We signed a label and met Johnny Nash. We, we entered what we call our black years in New York. Our, our writers were black. The musicians were black. Johnny's company was all black people. And we were the only white people in the organization. And we loved it. And because we loved Motown and we could sing it, and Bill could sing Motown. And they saw something in us. We played all the picnics that they gave and they just loved us. It was like, now this is not going to work out. They wrote us songs. We, our very first recording session we found, no one's heard the 19 songs we did with them in the studio as young kids. We found those tapes. So we have those. And Johnny gave us a shot. We did put our first release out, All I Really Want to Be Is Me, which is a song that Bill and I wrote, and it flopped, and they dropped us from the label. We're going to go to Mercury Phillips next, but Johnny Nash was the first, first person ever. Yeah. And and what sold Johnny Nash to all of us was that he was the voice of the Hercules cartoon. That's how we knew we, him. Yeah. yeah. Reason so that was that huge way. for us to hear Johnny Nash's name like that. My God, yes, Gallant. Did you know that Johnny no Nash idea. sang Hercules? No idea. I'm looking it up now. <laughs> I sang it great. I remember. I remember the cartoon vividly, but I did not realize that Johnny Nash was the voice of Hercules. So I, 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 I did not now or then see it clearly, Chachi. Well, and, we got, got, and they you see they it clearly. Us, there you go. That's very funny. They have us working in the desk studios, and this is an upscale New York we entered with all these people. They had it going on, East Side apartments, and it was just you felt this was going to go. This is going to go. But at fourteen, I think I'd think that if anything was going, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's uh, Chuck. Here's Hercules. Winner of ancient glory, fighting for the right. Fighting with his might, with the strength of ten ordinary men, Hercules. People are safe when near him, Hercules. Only the evil wow. That was an amazing vocal to us and got our attention, and we just couldn't believe how good that singer was. And it ended up being Johnny Nash, and we thought, I don't believe that's the guy, because we had admired his singing on that song for so long. And Danny Sims was actually Bob Marley's manager at this time when he's looking at a bunch of little kids. So, wow. Well, we're, we're approaching an hour, Professor and Ms. Diaz. It's been extraordinary talking to you guys. And you've, you seem like you're in such a good place. You've come to terms with everything. I think the anniversary of your dad's passing is coming up. Does, does that come to mind every year, September 20th? No, no, not no. really. What comes to mind is that to this day, the influence of the Beatles is so strong with the councils that we're even going to be doing a couple at Arlington at the Regent Theater October 6th. I, I wanted to bring that up because God, to this day, we do Beatles songs. We don't give them up. We, we love to perform them. It, it taught us that when you learn a song, I mean, you learn how the record is, then you're that's school. Believe me, you're physically all right. If you're good, you can do it by ear. And we got good at that. You had to. That was your resource in the beginning. So. Well, you are coming up on October 6th at the Regent Theater. And yeah. you know what? It's not like you guys don't make music anymore because this is a great song. Uh, Mr. Yaz, play Rhythm of the World, please. Oh, yeah. Rickenbacker. <laughs>
Great. Who wrote that song, gentlemen? Susan and Paul wrote that. Susan just, man, she comes up with gems and that's her melody. And, yeah, she does. And really, that's her That's her song. And she wrote that song. She was stressed for, for a, a few lines. And I had I was writing a song and she heard these two lines and said, oh, can I have those? And I go, well, yeah, I can give them to you, but then my song sucks. And and so, but that's that's the only reason my name is on there. This was Susan's song. Yeah. This was her gift, if I might say, to us for this album. And then, and rightfully so, it was the title song. So it's really and, and Susan's song. If I could add that she had that title before she wrote the song. Oh, I'm going to write a song called Rhythm of the World. And, and we said, good, that, that sounds good. That's the title. That's the title yeah. of the album. She goes, but I haven't written the song. We said, well, you better get on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she wrote it. Uh, it was funny that, that direction. She, there well, was a lot well. of pressure on her, though, because it was the last song that finished. And we'd see her out in the back of her truck sitting in it with a guitar. And I'd go, Paul, what's she doing? She's, she's finishing Rhythm of the World. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're waiting and waiting for it. But it was great. It was great. Well, good for you, because yeah. I like the track. It's a great track. Oh, I love it. Love it. Before- so, hey, guys, I just wanted to, uh, I did a factoid check on myself, because when I said that Johnny Nash sang Hercules, I'm thinking, gee, was that the song? I'm sitting here. But but I, I did go online and, and between 1963 and 66, he sang the cartoon song for The Mighty Hercules was the name of that, that show. But and, and it was definitely Johnny Nash who sang that. So I just uh, wanted to let any people out there going, hey, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, because I thought I heard somebody say that in the audience that we haven't reached yet. And then I had to recheck my my facts. So I was right. That was the one, that was clarifying. The, that was I the one we appreciated, Paul. It's. That was pretty amazing that in February, it will be the 60th anniversary of the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Here we are. Unbelievable. All yeah. those years later and look at Never you forget it. Yeah. Never yeah. forget it. We yeah. canceled yeah. our CYO meetings three Sundays in a row. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dad let you do that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Dad they let us really do it. Yeah. much about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Professor, Anything you'd like to add as we uh, begin our descent with the boys here? It's such a pleasure to have you guys. No, it's 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 been a thrill, Chachi, and I know that we we don't have time to cover every single story, but I know that Mister Yaz also appreciates this. Learning a bit more from uh, the documentary as well. The, Thank you. The first major hit coming out when that was that was sixty seven, correct? The rain, the park, and other things. Shall we say the impossible dream season and their connection to the New England sports and the Red Sox that was so huge around yeah. that time, of course. And then wow. uh, we would not have had the greatest comeback in sports history going 0-3 down to the Yankees without them being involved in that disastrous game three. So <laughs> I do I do think that that was important. I was I was not too far away that University had a, its annual Dean's Reception. We were having it at the Museum of Fine Arts. So I was in trying distance of Fenway Park that night. And, but it was, it was, it was an important, it was an important moment. It was nice to see you all out there with the, with the caps and Dave, uh, yeah. Dave, Dave, can I ask you something? And, Cause and you he, sound, you sound very nice now, but did you feel that way Sunday morning after that third loss and we had done the anthem because our website lit up and they were telling <laughs> us we weren't only bad for the Red Sox. We're bad for major league baseball. Now they don't know they're going to rip off eight in a row and, and we're going to, everyone's going to change their thinking and sound. And Dave, that was very nice. I was just wondering about Sunday morning and you, cause you sound like a real Red Sox fan and they were not happy Sunday morning. You know what? It was more of a feeling of, of, of resignation. The only thing to blame after that loss, what I felt was history and ghosts, not, not anyone who happened to be performing the anthem or singing there or anything like that. That could be like yeah. all of that. So, but you, you, you pick up and you move on and all the, oh, no, the totally. rest of history. Yeah. But totally. it was, it was, it was, it was great to just sort of know of that moment with, with you all there, because it was almost too perfect to sort of tie in what oh, everybody great. from, from Northern New Hampshire to Newport, Rhode Island, who everywhere was just the whole sort of collective catharsis that happened during that fall is something that yeah, is great to be a part have. of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will tell you, gentlemen, on our last podcast, we had Dr. Charles Steinberg as our guest. I'm so, kidding. Yes. He's our guy. Because he saw the Beatles in Baltimore in 1964, the day after they played the Boston Garden, the Beatles flew to Baltimore 
And at the age of five years old, Charles Steinberg's aunt insisted on bringing him to see the Beatles. Yep. So he was on our last podcast talking wow. about this. To this day, yeah, he's a well, Beatlemaniac. Yeah. And, and the thing is, for the rest of our lives, we will always think of Charles as the most incredible person we might have ever met because we got to do that national anthem. That was huge yeah. for us, for me and Bob, being athletes as kids and loving the socks. Our mother loved the socks. And for us to be there, I, it was sad. It makes me want to cry right now that our mom wasn't around for us to see that. Yeah. To, to see us singing that. Or she, hell, she would have been out be there that, with us. That time at home played. You're standing at home plate, and there's the Yankees looking like they just shaved their faces. And the ragamuffin Red Sox, like they just got <laughs> off the street, right? <laughs> and you're standing there at home plate, and, and you, at least I had my mind on, I, I bent down and I scooped up two pockets of dirt oh, right there, there put them in my pocket. They're still in my... There you go. Right <laughs> under my 360 of Benway in my den. It was huge. And it was huge. It was huge. For that moment, when you do the anthem, uh, and you're in it, it's the most amazing three minutes of your life. You can't believe yeah. it. Yeah, well, let's, let's let's not forget, Village. you also, didn't you also earn your stripes in the minors? Did you also at one point play McCoy as well as Polar Park? <laughs> We've done minor league anthems. We went out to actually to Class A Angels down to Lake Elsinore, did the anthem there and played there. I've done the anthem at a softball tournament that just started. We are anthem singers. And the biggest, of course, was was Fenway. I mean, it doesn't get bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you should do a new version called The Rain, The Ballpark, and Other Things. And send it off. <laughs> oh, I've heard Chris Berman so many times. I watched the SBA. Berman, if it was raining at the park, the rain, the park, and other things. <laughs> and it was, it was well, I will that. tell you that we were supposed to go to the Woosocks game last Wednesday where oh. the Gallant and myself were invited to throw out the first pitch, but there were awesome. weather issues. Yeah, so it didn't Well, happen. I just did the anthem at the Woosocks Stadium not three weeks ago, July 4th. Oh, cool. I did it on Holy July 4th. Cow. I was there. Yep, it was great. I had no idea. So yeah, my daughter Cats. works there. She does all the graphics for the stadium. That's her work you see there. Oh, fantastic. Holy yeah. cow. Isn't that amazing? Mr. Yaz, any final thoughts as we... No, it's been a thrill. I'm just busy over here queuing up hair for us to go out to, Chach, if that's okay with you. Well, I will tell you, gentlemen, and one one more thing. What was it like to be on stage on the Ed Sullivan stage? What was it like to meet Ed Sullivan? Because I'm a huge Ed Sullivan fan, have been since the day day one. And, and of course, you guys are on stage and the Beatle bass, you're playing the Beatle bass. And, and what was it like to meet the great, all right, here, I'll see. <laughs> what was it like to meet Ed Sullivan? I'm a big fan of Ed Sullivan. It, it was super. I mean, look, you had to be invited to be on Ed Sullivan's show. I mean, there's only so many spots, right? So we have mom, we're a family, and he fell in love with us. And we were so grateful. The first time you're on the Ed Sullivan show, you're in the theater. We're Beatle maniacs. So we're standing where they stood. I'm standing where John stood. I'm looking up. John was looking up when he was on. I'm going, what's he looking at? What's he looking at? I'm, I'm a fan. What's he looking at? What's John looking up? It was a balcony of people. I'm like, oh, he has a balcony. That's what I'm thinking of while I'm, it's live TV. And he asked mom, how did it all begin? It's like, what is she going to say? That's a long answer. Yeah. And she did great. She did great. She did great. But personally, humbled, honored, like, can't believe I'm there. Yeah. Paul, any recollections you want to share? Just just how, well, what do you call that when you you think you're in a dream? The, the whole Ed Sullivan day. Look at, as soon as the, the, the first show, as soon as the guys opened their mouths and nothing came out because of the liveness of this, of this show, and to watch my old man, drunk as a skunk, get up <laughs> and start falling butt into the control booth, you guys. This is like the the sanctum, and he just rolls in there, and and I could see him, and he it was ugly, it was ugly. I didn't but know yeah, he it was, was fun. It was surreal. Surreal is the word I was looking for. <laughs> oh, yeah, my and on the biggest moments, Dad could screw it up. Oh, and, man. and like, and believe me, before the business, he was doing that as children in lunch. He, this was him. So he took it into show business with us. It was still him. Yeah. Did we freak out? We lost eight shows. We didn't even know we lost eight shows. They didn't tell us. Life yeah. goes on and you just forget it. And you're, you're, you're into Look the it. next 
challenge. You know, and, and if you a do, challenge. If you do that show one time, that's all you really need to do. Okay, because you've just made history right there. Well, isn't so, that what Jim Morrison said? They said, you're never going to play the Ed Sullivan show because they sang that song. And Jim Morrison said, we just played we the Ed Sullivan show. We just played the Ed Sullivan yeah. show. You played it once. That's enough. Yeah, that's all you needed. Professor, look at these two. They're so grounded and they're so happy. And so we get to come and play concerts at our age. We would never have dreamed that this would be. Guys, we did six. We did sixty-one shows this summer inside about three months. So, and thousands and thousands of miles traveled on buses. And and I'm telling you, it, it it it's the most incredible feeling. The most incredible time that you could ever have is just playing show after show after show. It, it's yeah, just I mean, incredible. Because things go out of style and you think, oh, my God, we're never going to work again. No one's going to hear our music anymore. But look at where we are. Tribute bands are making so much money. Uh, but that's because, because of the songs. It's yeah. the songs. Yeah. The songs drove the 61 shows. The songs, not us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The and, absolutely. And the great thing about a show like Arlington, on October 6th is we get to bring the family band in. We get to have our long show and visit the audience. Oh, by the way, we need to mention Jim Sullivan. Yes. Uh, just say, we're excited about this. This is a little out of the box. We love it. Jim Sullivan, great Boston Globe guy. You know him. All right, look him up. He's going to visit with us at 7 o'clock Friday night, October 6th, to start the show off as kind of a interview and visitation. I love it. We thought it sounded so cool. So, yeah, yeah. Jim, Jim, too. I've known Jim for years. I started my radio career at WBCN in 1981. So I've known Jim for many, many years. And he's an ideal moderator. We've had a great conversation. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. October 6th, the fantastic Powsills. 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock, the region. That's a good hour. What's that, That's a good hour. 7 o'clock is an excellent hour, bros. Okay, we're just saying. Perfect. We know our audience. And bring your kids. That's <laughs> And uh, so we're looking forward to the councils at the Regent Theater, regenttheater.com for tickets. And we're looking forward to seeing you guys. And uh, my God, thank you from the bottom of my heart thank for you being for here because us. that the, your music lives on. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure maybe you didn't realize that back in the day that this music would be celebrated well, all these years. You never assume that at all. You are grateful today. You're grateful. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to go yeah. in, David. I want to go in your class and I want to hear you lecture on And Your Bird Can Sing. Okay. That's uh, my favorite, favorite track, man. That, Great that, track. That, that is your favorite Beatles track. That's my favorite Beatles song, Beatles track, Beatles recording, Beatles produced you know, recording. Well, Twitter. you know what? When, 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 when we hear the, the, the guitar sound in uh, a Rhythm of the World, now it makes sense because it's that shimmering it. guitar that if that you go to the art can sing. Yeah. If you go to the chorus of Rhythm of the World, I am playing the rhythm of Andrew Burke and singing yeah. the chorus just like they did it. I did it on purpose. Yeah, I, wow. yeah I heard it right away. There you oh, go. that's a good pickup. And <laughs> in, in our liner notes, we put what songs influence. I mentioned Andrew Burke and sing, but I don't say what part. Anyway, that was a good pickup. Cool. You know what? If I can, if I can convince, I don't know that I'm in town, unfortunately enough, but if I can convince my, one of my oldest sisters to make it from Attleboro up to Arlington, you can cite her baton. Well, you got to let us know if that happens. Yeah. If she can find it. Yeah. That was such a part of our life. So we could both for that. These, these memories have just been astounding today. So. Well, thank you, David. Look at if she shows up in Arlington with her baton, she can come up on stage and do the baton while we sing the song. That would be awesome. Let's make that happen. Yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> All right. Thank you for having us. Surgery might say no to that, but yeah, yeah, you're talking well, for her, right? I get well, that. Ladies Thank and gentlemen, you. we've we've been talking to Bob Cowsill, Paul Cowsill of the Cowsills, and such talented guys from day one: musicians, artists, composers, songwriters, and here you are today, all these years later, still doing it. We're grateful for that. On behalf of David Gallant. Mr. Yaz, myself, Bob and Paul, thank you for coming on Get Back to the Beatles. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Tell your friends and share this and get the word out that the Cowsills are coming to Arlington, Massachusetts. And then after that, we'll all go to Atwell's Ave and have some nice Italian food. Let's do it. 
Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Cannolis are on sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, right, Mr. Diaz. Beetle David. On. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye-bye, everyone. Hang tight, gentlemen. Let's hear the outro, Mr. Diaz. Let's hear it. Make sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.